Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Eric Fulweiler, co-founder and CEO of Rival. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. And even in the just like couple minutes of getting to know each other before we press record, I'm excited about about this one and learning that it's only 15 minutes. I think that's going to be the hardest part, trying to pack it all in. That's right. You know, it should be a, a good challenge for us. We're going to be talking about marketing in a general sense. But before we do, I'd like for you just to kind of share your background um, as I've been able to get to know you a little bit as well. It's a fascinating bit of experience that you bring to the table. Can you talk through where you're coming from? For sure. So I'm based here in London. I've lived here for the last eight years, but as you can tell by the accent, I'm not from here. I'm from the States, from Boston, actually, originally. Uh, I kind of grew up professionally in New York and San Francisco in the early web 2.0 scene. Um, met a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, if you've heard of him, when he was setting up what became VaynerMedia. So that brought me into the advertising agency world. So helped to build Vayner, did that for seven years, including moving over to London. And through that work and actually doing some brand marketing work for a couple challenger banks, I met a company called 11FS that people might have heard of and uh, ended up going there to be CMO for almost three years. And just about a year ago, I set up uh, Rival with my two co-founders. And we are a marketing consultancy that specializes in building challenger brands. And so we don't only work within financial services, but partially because of you know how many challengers there are, how much disruption there is happening in the FS world. And of course, the time I spent at 11FS uh, and getting to know some of the people in this world, about half of our work is within FS. So uh, I know that's super relevant for what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think people probably know about 11FS, um, but for those who haven't, you should check them out and get a sense of where Eric's coming from. Can you talk through some of the the clients that you're working with, kind of you know, expand on this idea of helping challengers kind of break into the market with some examples? Yeah, I can. And and actually, uh, you know, Greg, I'm always trying to think about how can I add the most value, particularly when it's a, a limited amount of time, like 15 minutes. So I actually, I know you're not asking me this question, but I want to touch on this because I think it'll be interesting for people. If you have heard of 11FS or if you haven't, I'd encourage you to go check them out. Uh, it really represents, and obviously they were doing a lot of this before I got there, uh, but I'm proud to say that, you know, it helped to scale it. I really believe that modern marketing is about thinking and acting more like a media company than a, than a marketer or an advertising agency. And what that means, and again, if you know 11FS, then hopefully this connects the dots for you. In my time as CMO there, and actually in a lot of the work that we do as Rival, you know, I think that the, the heart, marketing at the end of the day is about shifting perception and behavior to drive growth of your business. And so the story you tell people, of course, matters, but actually the hardest thing is actually getting and retaining people's attention. And if you think about, well, what are the businesses that are in the business of attention? Those are media companies. And so actually, if you, you know, it's a slight shift, but if you put a different kind of hat on and actually think about how can I produce content experiences, events that are going to add value to the audience I'm trying to reach, what that does is it brings the market to you. And so at 11FS, a lot of the content that we put out was kind of within that philosophy and within that model. And that's, of course, what we're doing with our own business here at Rival at a smaller scale and with a lot of the clients that we work with. Um, so sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there because I thought it might be relevant and valuable for people just to hear a little bit behind the scenes of kind of the model and the mindset that we used to build a lot of the media machine at 11FS. No, that's great. No, it's, it's really good background. 
Um, cool. So when it comes to Rival, so you know, you can think of us more as like a management consulting firm that specializes in marketing. So sometimes we like to say, and of course, this is a bit aspirational, but you know, McKinsey for CMOs or Challenger CMOs. And the work that we do tends to fall into three buckets: brand development, and that includes, you know, new brand development evolutions of brand or product positioning. Also, we do a lot around proposition and product testing. It's really figuring out um, what is the most effective story that you should be telling about what your brand and your product brings to market. Second bucket is go-to-market planning. So that's communications planning, channel planning, distribution planning. We do a lot around business intelligence. So analytics, attribution models, MarTech, uh, that whole side of things, actually knowing what's working and what's not working and how to quantify it. And then the one that, um, and knowing a bit about about you, Greg, I, I know you share this passion. The third one, the one that I'm most passionate about is the capability building side. Because at the end of the day, the best strategy, the newest technology doesn't matter if you don't have the right people set up in the right way to actually deliver it and execute on it. So we do a lot of training, we do a lot of organizational design. And to be honest, it's kind of the red thread throughout everything that we do. Um, so a couple examples of what we've done. Again, we only launched the business about a year ago, uh, but we're up to about 15 people now. We've done work for about 30 clients over the course of that time. And it's uh, it's it's kind of either challengers. So we built a new bank from scratch in South Africa. Uh, we're working with the challenger bank in uh, out of Turkey right now that's coming to Europe. Uh, we're working with RTGS Global, which is kind of a you know next generation cross-border bank-to-bank settlement business that I think is really exciting. I mentioned AutoBooks and the team over there that we've done some work with. On the other side of the spectrum, where I think there's also a lot of opportunity is actually incumbents that want to think and act like challengers. Um, so we've done some work for a, a very large insurance company that's multinational uh, that you definitely would have heard of. We've done some work for um, a, a very, very traditional, but very well-known private private wealth management Swiss bank as well. We've done some work in insurance. So for us, it really comes down to one, the culture fit, because there's the brand of this bank or this organization. Then there's actually the people that you get to work with. And that's the most important thing for the quality of the work that you do. And let's be honest, how much you enjoy it. Um, but then there's, what are they looking to do? And for us, the North Star, the kind of thing that we are that we wake up and go to bed thinking about is how do you successfully change a category how do you successfully disrupt what's already there and that can be either a challenger that's doing it or you know like that old phil knight quote from nike the best way to stay number one is to think and act like a number two so it can also be an incumbent that's trying to do challenger type things yeah, no, I think there's, um, it's clear to see there's a lot of room for this kind of work because it's so difficult to break in with a new idea into a really crowded space. It's also really difficult to maintain that drive if you are in that incumbent position. And I think the way that you guys focus on kind of the human side of it uh, really resonates with me. I think that makes just a lot of sense. And to your point also, it makes the work so much more fun if you um, really get to, to believe with believe in the people that you're working with. So I think that's a really interesting side of it as well. Um, I want to talk about the piece that you just launched, the FinTech Marketing Playbook. That's one of the reasons, kind of the impetus for, for bringing you on the show um, to talk through that. Can you give our listeners an overview of, of what that is and kind of where that idea came from? For sure. And and before I do that, just real quick, I know I'm like slotting in a bunch of other stuff here, but I'm, I'm just trying to think about what's most relevant to your audience. I think, you know, 
you know, one of the things that might be uh, surprising to hear from someone like me who does what I do is I think I think a lot about how the best marketing is actually a great product. So, you know, the most important thing, particularly if you're an early stage business, is finding product market fit. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what should I be doing with marketing or, or brand? I think they said, if I'm a really early stage business, I'm like, don't worry about it. Everything should be trained on finding product market fit. Now, the thing that I do believe is that the most long-term growth, the best chance for your product to be successful, the most potential for your business comes from product and marketing. So I think it really needs to be both of those things. And I think, you know, it's probably a good segue to talking about uh, the FinTech Marketing Playbook, the piece of content that we put out recently. Um, you know, because of the work that we do here at Rival and at 11FS, I think that we and they, although of course they're more focused on, let's call it product innovation as opposed to marketing innovation, we kind of sit in between challengers and incumbents. And you know, within each project, you're either working for a big bank or you're trying to build a challenger bank. Let's take that as an example. But actually, when you take a step back and you look at the 30 projects or all the work that we did at 11FS, you get to kind of see the contrast between how challengers do things differently and how incumbents do things differently. And so with the FinTech Marketing Playbook, that's kind of what we're trying to summarize is with all the collective experience that our team has uh, in this sector, what are the, the most important things that we not only see challengers do, but that we see them do differently than incumbents? So that was really the impetus for putting together uh, this piece of content. Cool. Are there any quick tips that you can share? Um, or maybe let's approach it from the other side. Let's talk about some of the common pitfalls that, that people fall into when they think about marketing. And I know one of them that you talked about is just kind of changing the way that you view marketing, like where that sits in the overall stack in terms of the you know order of operations when you start really thinking about marketing. Can you talk through that side of things a little bit and how you know a lot of people are maybe thinking about it a little bit wrong? I think I think a lot of people are thinking about it a lot wrong, to be honest. I'll say it that way. And that that's not that, you know, uh, I don't want to come across the wrong way. I think it's a huge opportunity is, I guess, what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Because I think that, you know, doing a lot of work in, in fintech and also we do a lot in, in B2B and enterprise technology, I think there's a lot of organizations that are maybe more product or engineering led. And, and everything that I said before about how the best marketing is a great product still stands. However... What that means is that I see a lot of organizations that are thinking about marketing as advertising. And, and to me, the difference is advertising is the communication that you bring to market. That's kind of like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to marketing overall. What sits below the surface is the stuff that I think is most important, that's so much more foundational to maximizing the growth of your business. And that to me, you know, the way that I think about it, not to kind of mix metaphors with icebergs and other things here, but here we go, is I think that marketing fundamentally is the bridge between the value that your product has the potential to deliver and the needs that are in the market. And so, for example, um, you know, when I joined 11FS and Jason Bates, who's one of the co-founders at Monzo and Starling, successful challenger banks over here. And there was kind of this conversation in the, you know, in the Kool-Aid, the water cooler within the fintech world of like how Monzo, Starling, you know, these, these fintech brands, they didn't do marketing. And what they meant by that is like, they didn't have TV campaigns and they didn't have billboards in the tube stops. But I was like, they're doing marketing. They're just building the bridge. They are building community 
they are building buzz and anticipation and exclusivity with a golden ticket friend referral access. They're building, I think it's called forum.monzo.com or something like that, that they set up very early on that let people actually give feedback about product development and features that they wanted to see. So they thought about marketing as product market fit is the most important thing. How can marketing actually bring the customer into the organization and into the product roadmap, not just bring the product to the customer, which of course, you know, that promotion, if you think about the four P's or that communication aspect of it is of course essential, but it's so much broader than that going back to the iceberg metaphor. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me there is the idea of a community, right? I think so much of a successful brand really does feel like it's a community. And, and we know from experience that this is what customers, particularly younger customers, are looking for out of the brands that they engage with. They want to feel like those brands represent something that speaks to themselves, that they're part of a community of people who are not necessarily similar to themselves, but who believe in the same kinds of things of themselves as, as they do. This is also one of those areas that's really daunting if you're a brand new company trying to come in and think, you know, how can I generate a community starting from literally square one? Do you have any tips on what people can do to kind of start that process, start thinking about how you build a community when you are starting from literally zero? So the best way that I've heard community described, because I think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot and, and maybe not everybody has the same understanding of what it means. To me, the best best definition is the difference between audience and community is which way the chairs are facing. So an audience, you're speaking to them. A community, your brand or your business is enabling the connection to come from the group that you're creating, not just your brand exclusively. And back to my point, you know, I was talking about 11FS and the media company model, why I think modern marketing is about thinking and acting like a media company. The biggest difference between that and traditional marketing is that the media company model is focused on adding value to the audience, whereas traditional marketing is ultimately focused on extracting value from the audience. The brands that are most successful at community building and actually marketing overall are the ones that are focused first and foremost on how can I add more value through what I stand for, through what I do, through the investments that I make. Now, I am one of my biggest pet peeves and why you know I spent 10 years in the advertising agency industry, to be honest, one of the biggest things I didn't like about it and still don't is what I call marketing for the sake of marketing. All the awards in the ad industry, you know, all this stuff that people get excited about. Like I feel like I fell into advertising and marketing. What I care about and what I'm fascinated by is how do you grow businesses? Marketing is a means to an end. You should only invest if you think it's going to drive growth of your business, but not everything should be a short term. If I put a dollar here, I'm going to get a dollar back in 30 days because if you think about it, and this goes a little bit more maybe onto the B2B side, but you know, fundamentally, the role of marketing is to build long-term cash flow for your business. Whereas a lot of people, I think, are much more focused on short-term cash flow, which is sales or demand gen or customer acquisition. Of course, that matters. And I'm totally, you know, been around the block, totally aware of and, and empathetic to how particularly larger organizations or VC private equity backed organizations need to work. But fundamentally, I think people need to be asking themselves the question, how can I let marketing build long-term cash flow for my business? And that's where the value, how do I add value question comes in. But if you look at any of the examples of communities that have been successful, it really comes back to brands that are willing and able to invest in creating value through not only what they do, but also the connection that they create around their brand. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where it gets a little bit more nebulous as well, because you do have that muddiness of, you know, how quickly will we get the return on investment? It's easy to see how people, um, particularly people who are focused on product, who are focused on innovation, kind of uh, would be unwilling to open the purse strings a little bit and and put money in here because it's not that kind of analytical side of my brain that's going to get the immediate payoff here. We did this, we get this right back. It is a little bit more nebulous, but it's so crucial um, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time here, and I want to just end with uh, a kind of zoom out question. You know, obviously, as someone who works with a lot of challenger banks, you're kind of acutely aware of where there's a lot of potential for disruption. What are you seeing right now as an area that really does need to be disrupted or where there's still potentially an opportunity for somebody who's looking to shake the status quo up a little bit? So when I joined 11FS and, you know, 10 years in advertising agencies, a couple startups in the U.S., done my fair share of working with financial services businesses. Uh, You know, spending time with some of the people there, David Breer, Simon Taylor, Sam Maul, et cetera, it just blew my mind and actually still does thinking about it, just how much opportunity there is within this sector. Because as someone, even someone who did a bit of work in FS, you know, you kind of think of financial services as like the stuff that you see on the surface, the stuff that touches you as a normal human being, customer, person, day to day, the banking, the insurance, maybe the payments, stuff like that. Um, The thing that I'm probably most passionate about and where I think there's a ton of opportunity and if I was going to go start a fintech, probably what I would look at is, you know, all the unsexy pipes and plumbing and the stuff that actually makes it all work that is you know increasingly or or much more so kind of consolidated and monopolized and traditional and outdated and i'm sure people that are you know deeper into the space than i are can can resonate with that or maybe are smiling now but you know i think of the work that we that we've done with rtgs and just getting into that world of cross border bank to bank wholesale settlement i mean it's maybe not as uh, sexy on the surface as like building the next Revolut or Monzo or Venmo or or uh, Cash App, but man, I think there's so much opportunity and so much need for that infrastructure layer uh, within financial services to be disrupted. No, I think that's a great shout. And I think you're right. A lot of financial institutions are recognizing that if they want to deliver the kinds of services that their customers are asking for, they need to be better prepared on the back end. They need to be able to offer new services, which they aren't able to offer right now because of the limitations of their their tech stacks. And so um, it all all eventually boils up to being able to do something uh, that makes people happy, that adds value, that gives people a reason to switch to your brand and to stay to your brand. But, um, you know, we could talk for a really long time. I'm afraid we have to to end it there, but I will just end by saying, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more, do check out the uh, marketing playbook that they've made available. We'll make sure we get a link to that in the description. Um, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Greg. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.